Good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here this morning as we start a new series today called Transformed. And this is part one, so it's good that you're here today. I appreciate uh, Shane and the worship team this morning and with very little practice. Imagine how good they'd be if they practiced. I mean, come on. That's awesome. But appreciate Shane uh, stepping in at the last moment to help us today. We're going to dive right into it this morning as we uh, talk about this topic of, of being surrendered. And uh, we're going to start with one of these statements that's just kind of a gut punch, um, just kind of, kind of sticks with you. And, and so uh, listen to this. It's been said that law with no grace is legalism and is harsh, but grace with no law is hypocrisy. I'll let that let that sink in for just a minute. Law with no grace. If you have law and you know we can't keep God's law, we're sinners, there's no way we can keep to the standards of God. So that law with no grace can lead, lead us to this legalism uh, that we're trying to keep the law and trying to justify ourselves to God because we're so good or because we, we sin less or, or, you know. But grace, having the grace of God, accepting the grace of God with no law is hypocrisy. If there's a grace that we say we accept, but it doesn't change us, it doesn't transform us, it doesn't help us to be more like Christ Jesus, to where, yeah, we actually do more of what God's law asks of us, then it is hypocrisy. I think there's a problem, and there's an issue, that many of us understand, and many of us would acknowledge, but it's not something that we would tout. It's not something we you know, talk about publicly, or maybe even in our small groups or our Sunday school classes. But we've all probably experienced this where we see Christians that resemble, not Christ, but Christians that resemble and maybe act more like non-Christians. Believers that act like non-believers. Their language is still foul. Their thought life is still impure. Their relational brokenness in their marriage or with their friends or with their family is still the same as it was before Christ Jesus. Their direction in life doesn't seem to be any different than that of the world. Their pursuit of possessions and worldliness seems to be the same as that of the neighbor next door that doesn't profess any faith in Christ. Their morality seems to match that of the rest of the world. There seems to be no distinctives and no distinctiveness because there are no differences seen between the life of a believer and of a non-believer. And there's a problem with that. Because it destroys the witness and the testimony and the purity of God's church. And it can also affect us both corporately and privately as a church body, as a fellowship of believers, but also as individual Christians. And in this series over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about God's Word and what it has to say about transformation that's to happen in the lives of a believer. What is supposed to happen when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ? When people say they come to Jesus, when they come to know Jesus, what, what does that transformational process look like? The good news and some hope this morning is the early church, the first century church, even the second century church, they had some of these same issues. And, and they needed to be dealt with, and so they had some of these same lessons that we're going to be talking about. I mean, how does a believer really live a transformed life? It's been an issue with Christ's followers since the beginning. And it's something that I think, at least at some point in our life, we all may wrestle through. How do I live out the spiritual transformation that has occurred in me at salvation? Which really leads us to another question. What is transformation, really? What does it mean to be transformed? Transformation is not attaining 
a spiritual standard. A righteous standard is given to us by Christ at the moment of salvation. It's not the impossible task of mimicking every action of Jesus. It is about recognizing the life that God has within every believer and how to respond to the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Transformation could be characterized as the difference between what I am doing for God and what God is doing in me. The difference between what I'm doing for God, my acts of service, my love, and what God is doing in me, transforming me literally from the inside out. From my heart. Transformation is about God doing something in me and me cooperating with Him, going with Him, moving His direction. Transformation is not like a cherry tree trying to change itself into an orange tree. It's about a cherry tree trying to grow up to be what it was meant to be, the best cherry tree that it can be. And as believers, we are not trying hard to be something that we're not. At conversion, the Bible says that we became new creatures, new creations. So where's the newness? And what is the difference? Our ongoing transformation is about living out in real time what has been secured for all time. As Paul said about the Corinthians, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you used to be immoral, but now you are washed. The old has gone, the new has come. You know that 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We don't go back to the old, we pursue the new. Christ lives within us in Galatians chapter 2. talks about transformation is living by faith in Him who is already within us. We're not trying to conjure up transformation in our lives it's within us we are to live and to move toward it but in doing so it helps to know what this transformed life is to look like and as I was thinking of that my mind turned to Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 in there we find a picture of a life that is transformed by God Paul wrote 11 chapters in Romans leading up to this point of deep Doctrine, and he was outlining the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of our salvation. And then starting in Romans 12, right there with verse 1, which is what we're going to study today, he launches the early believers into a rapid-fire understanding of what living out spiritual transformation is really like. And in this one chapter, it displays eight marks that can serve as guideposts in directing believers toward a transformed life. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. So if you have your Bible this morning, please grab it and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You can also follow along in the app, the outline, the notes are all there. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning and you're not jumping on the app right now, grab the Bible that's right there in front of you and turn it to page 947. I want you to read this with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now, I will, I will tell you this, a little caveat of this for me. Romans 12, 1 and 2, those two verses I memorized as, as a child. I probably memorized it in junior high. And great verses that, that you take to heart and you keep with you your whole life. Uh, back in that time, I memorized it in a version of the Bible called the NIV. 
the New International Version of the Bible. Still widely sold today. In fact, uh, many of you that are in here this morning might be carrying an NIV with you. That's how I memorized it. And so it was a new study, a new thought process for me uh, um, to do it from the ESV. That's what we use here in church. And that's what the, the Bibles there are in the, in the seats there around you. Is the ESV, the English Standard Version. And so it words it a little differently, but it's, its meaning is, is right there in the same. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. The way I memorized this verse, it started out with the word, therefore. It said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. There's a word that appears right here. I appeal to you, therefore, or in the NIV it just says, therefore. And anytime you read that, I was taught in Bible college, see what it's there for. And usually therefore is referring back to something that had happened before. And what it's linking to here is this verse in Romans, in, in Romans chapter 12, back to the rest of the, the writings from the book of Romans to the first 11 chapters. It's amazing because the apostle Paul here who wrote this, he summarizes what's been said in all of these verses in Romans up to this point as God's mercy. Look what it says there in the scripture. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, the mercies of God, God's mercy. That summarizes what's been happening up to this point. He's calling all of that teaching and all of that doctrine of grace, God's mercy. Remember, mercy is when someone has mercy on you, you're not getting something that you deserve. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. If you, if you think about it, it really makes sense. If you had someone's cell phone, you borrowed someone's cell phone, I'm just going to look at them, and you dropped it and you shattered the screen. You, being good people in here, would probably feel horrible about it. You'd feel terrible about it. And you'd say, you know what? Let me pay for that screen. Let me pay to fix your phone. I want to make sure I make this right. And so, But the person whose phone that you broke just says, you know what? Don't worry about it. I've got you covered there. I, I, I'm going to get it fixed, and I'll, I'll pay to fix it. Don't worry about it. Um, what are they doing? They're having mercy on you, because really, you should pay for the phone. You broke the phone. But they're saying, you know what? I'm going to take that penalty away from you. I'm not going to make you do that. I, I'm, I'm just going to take that from you. I'm going to take that right back here. And we say, wow. And, and isn't, that, isn't that awesome? I mean, don't you feel good about that person? Like, wow, they are so nice. I mean, it's amazing. They didn't make me pay for the for the screen that I broke, I mean, I don't know how much those are, but you know, it's probably you know some expense there. And, and man, they're taking that on the on themselves. And and you would walk away saying the favorable things about that person, right? You would think really favorably of that about that person. Well, it's the same thing here. Is the point that Paul is making is that he says, in view of God's mercy, because he is he is not punishing us the way that we deserve. In view of God's mercy, we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That we need to be willing to sacrifice for Him. And that's what Romans 12.1 is really telling us here. It's launching us to this place of viewing God's mercy as a motivating factor. That we can see God's mercy and that we can want, that we can want to serve Him more. That we can want to live sacrificially for Him. The interesting thing is this Greek word is used for the word mercy 
here in Romans 12.1, this is the only place that it's used. The only time you see this word here. It's pointing to God's mercy and compassion. And the whole point is that should this passion that he has, this compassion that he has, this mercy he has for us, should drive our willingness and be motivating for us to serve him and to surrender to him. I like the way that the message puts this verse. It's here on the screen. Just check this out. It says, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Now, I love what it says there. Take your life, every bit of your life, your comings and your goings, you're eating, you're drinking, you're sleeping, just your normal life, and you're place it before God as a sacrificial offering. Why? Because of his mercy for us. He's not, he saved us. He's not giving us what we deserve. That should be motivation. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. So what is the marker of a transformed life that we can learn from this scripture today. And this is it. A transformed life is marked by willing surrender. A transformed life is marked by willing surrender. It's a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice to surrender. We need to teach one another surrender rather than making treaties with God. It's telling us to be a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is that they squirm off the altar. Even when the animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament, those animals most of the time were bound when they were laid on the altar. Why? Because the animal doesn't want to be on the altar. The animal wants to get off the altar. And so if you didn't bind its legs and, and maybe bind its body some way and tie it down to the altar, that was going to squirm right off. Well, it's the same thing with a living sacrifice. Let's just admit it. Some of us don't want to be on the altar. We don't want to be the sacrifice. We don't want to be the ones that are called to fully surrender to God, to His ways and to His plans. And so what we do is we squirm off the altar and run back into the woods. A transformed life does not strike a treaty with God to trade with Him some spiritual favors. It's a life that is fully surrendered to Him. A transformed life is marked by willing surrender. So how does this happen? How can we move toward a more surrendered life and allow God to do His work of transformation in us? I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts this morning. The first one is this. We need to realize that surrender is not a one-time event. Surrender is not a one-time event. It's an everyday thing that you're going to choose to do. Every day when you wake up in the morning, you're going to choose whether you're going to surrender your will and your way to God today or whether... You're going to do it your own way. Whether you're going to maintain the control over your life. Because when we use words like living sacrifice, like willing surrender, and we use terminology like lay your life down on the altar of God, that just seems vulnerable. You know, that I, I remember one time I heard a, a lady say, it sounds so sacrificial. It's like, yes, it's sacrificial. 
And what, what do we want to do? We want to get away from it sometimes. And, and let's be honest, some of us, this is just about safety and comfort. That's really what the Christian life is for us. It's about safety and comfort and, and, and a willing surrender and a living sacrifice. This doesn't seem to go along with safety and comfort. Most of us, we would say something like this to God. Listen, God, listen, God, I'm just going to have my nice little family here. And we love you so much. And we're going to just keep to ourselves and we're going to live on an acreage in a gated community, far away from other humans, okay? And we're going to homeschool our kids, and we're going to make them wear helmets wherever they go, and so they don't hurt themselves, and, and we're never going to let them go outside because the sun has those evil UV rays, and they might harm them, and we don't really surrender. We don't really live as a sacrifice to God. We do it with these treaties that we try to do with God. We do it with this, with this trying to make a deal with God, and what we're really pursuing there is comfort, we want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. We don't want to allow God to transform our lives. That's for like crazy Christians. All I want to do, God, is I just want to go to church on Sundays and maybe like I might give like 2% of my income this year and maybe I might help in children's ministry like once a quarter just because I feel guilty, but I just don't want to lay down my life and surrender to you. And I really don't like words like sacrifice because it's so you know, gruesome, and so a living sacrifice, I just, we make a deal, because it's all about us, and it's based on our comfort and our safety, but Scripture cuts us right to the heart here, doesn't it? Because the Scripture we read today says, hey, because of the mercies of God, because of how wonderful He is, because of the wonderful things that He's done in your life, in view of that mercy and that love and that grace and that sacrifice, would you offer yourself as a living sacrifice? Because when you sacrifice and you do willing surrender there, you'll become holy and pleasing to God. And this will be a spiritual act of worship. Because it's hard sometimes, I think, and we have to realize that it's a battle. This conflict that you feel inside, maybe even your soul, will be a battle. And every day, every day, every day, every day, every day when you get up, you're going to have to decide for yourself, is today, am I going to surrender to God? It's not just a one-time choice that you made when you were 12 years old. It's something that you're going to do every day. You're going to wake up and say, is today the day that the Lord has made? Am I going to live for Him? Or is He really just going to be living for me? And you make a choice whether you will surrender to God or not. When I was at Dallas Christian College, I was on different ministry teams, and I was on a team that, that you could try out for, and I did it my sophomore year and my junior year, um, called the worship team. And basically what the worship team did is, is uh, it was vocalists and musicians, and, and I did some vocals, I did some drums, I did some piano for it. And basically if you, were, if you loved music and loved worshiping God, then you could go be on the worship team and try out. And so there, there was about eight, ten of us on the team. We travel around to other churches and we basically lead worship. We lead seminars about worship. Um, sometimes we would uh, play for a conference, you know, somewhere. We play for, you know, revivals in churches. And I remember we would usually stay in Texas and Oklahoma. Sometimes go as far as Louisiana because they need Jesus over there. Um, and, and sometimes New Mexico. I said that for Jason Wig, by the way. He's right here. Um, but, but, you know... Uh,
We would stay in that area, but one time I remember we were traveling to a church, and it was in Houston, Texas, in the northern part of Houston from Dallas, and we had to be there on a Friday because they had a revival for the weekend, and they had a guest speaker coming in. It was Friday night and Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, and it was going to end Sunday night, and so Sunday night we were going to do the program Sunday night and then literally leave because, you know, we got classes first thing Monday morning, and so we, we had to drive back and be back at school the next day. And I remember being down there, and it's been a wonderful weekend, a great guest speaker. Um, I, I can't even remember. I was trying to remember what the theme for it was. I don't remember the theme. Uh, it, was, it was so long ago. But I just remember it was a great speaker. It was very motivating. You could feel the build as the weekend went on. And, and we got to Sunday night. And, and so we led worship that night as, as, as a worship team. And I remember we were, we were coming up after the speaker. He did an excellent sermon. We are coming up after the speaker, and the, and the uh, song of invitation was, I Surrender All, the hymn. If you, is anybody familiar with that? I surrender all. And the chorus of that song says, All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And so we, we get into the song and we're singing it. And, and it's like, you know, it's one of those hymns. So it's like verse 1 and then the chorus and then verse 2 and then the chorus. We get to about verse 3 in the chorus and the speaker comes up and he just stands right in front of the worship team. Well, that's usually a sign, okay? If you ever see that in church life, that means the worship team is supposed to play softly in the background because the speaker's going to speak again. And so, you know, we kind of all step back with our mics and we quit singing and the music just keeps going, but it's softer in the background. And he comes up and I'll never forget what he said. He goes, you know, some of you all were singing this song, I Surrender All. He goes, but you know what? Because I, I just don't think we're being honest tonight. He's like, I think better way to sing this song be singing, I surrender some. Because that's what, what some of you are, are willing to do. And so, you know, you, you know, you're wanting to surrender all, but you can't or you won't. And so you're making this choice. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to change the words now. For the rest of this song, we're going to sing, I surrender some. And I want you to just be honest tonight and just say, I'm going to surrender some. And we'll take some steps that direction. And, and, and I just remember thinking, that's just so weird. So anyway, we go on. And so we start singing the verses and the choruses again. And we get to that chorus, I surrender some, I surrender some. All to thee, my blessed Savior. Whoops, we should, probably should have changed that to some to thee, my blessed Savior. But I surrender some. And we sang it that night. We loaded up the instruments, the band instruments. We get all on the school's van together with the trailer, and we're heading back to DCC. It's about a six, five and a half, six-hour drive. I remember us talking about that and how that had affected some of us because personally, I, I, just, I, I was really uncomfortable with that. I was uncomfortable singing it. I was uncomfortable with... The concept of it. I surrender some. It, it really kind of bugged me because I thought Jesus gave it all, not just some. And so if we would really sing the song the way he wanted us to, it would be, I surrender some, I surrender some, some to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. But it's like Jesus paid it all. He gave it all. He sacrificed. We're called to be a living sacrifice. It doesn't say, oh, some of you are going to be a living sacrifice. It's, it's a call for all of us. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We are called to be Christ followers all the way. We're called to give willing surrender as a living sacrifice. And we're not, we're not called to surrender some. We're called to surrender all. We might like to surrender some. That's the way some of us work, right? You know, I, I surrender my salvation to Jesus Christ because, you know, he's the only way that I'm ever going to be saved. But I'm not going to surrender my finances. I mean, you saying surrender my checking account? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tithe. I, surrender? 
Surrender all? Surrender my relationship? You have to understand, okay, I know God wants relationships to be pure and he has all these reasons and stuff, but he doesn't know what it is to be like in my life. And so I've, that is not a, an area that I'm going to surrender to God. You know, I might surrender some. I mean, we pray when we eat, but, you know, I just surrender some. I'm not going to really surrender all. But we need to realize that surrender and surrendering all is not just this one-time event and this decision that we make. It's something you wake up every day and you make a conscious decision. The second thing about a life of willing surrender is that you need to trust in Him more completely. You need to trust in Him more completely. We say that we do trust in Him, right? Oh yeah, if we asked you, I trust in God, but I'm afraid that's just kind of Christian-y talk sometimes, that we say that because we know we're supposed to say that, and we know that really we're supposed to trust God, but we really don't trust God completely. We get, we get our, our, our sights on, on transformation in our lives, on moving toward Christ's likeness, and you realize that I have to trust God for this work I have to trust God for this work in me. We have to trust the process that God is going to allow us to go through, and we're going to have to trust Him with the outcomes for each one of us. It's kind of like the blessed and the brokenness that we talked about last week. There are seasons where hardship are going to be allowed in our life because when we get on the other side of it, when our hand is in God's hand and our heart is closer to Him and we are more focused on Him, we can look back and see that our faith has grown because of what God has done. And we can see that we are starting to be transformed into the new creations that God wanted us to be. Because we're now going to trust Him more completely. And it's going to be every area of our life. It's going to be our finances. It's going to be our relationships. It's going to be our sin patterns. We're, going to, we're just going to trust Him to do His work in us. Jeremiah 29.11 is a very popular verse, but I always like reading 29.11 in the context of 12 and 13. So I want you to listen to this, this scripture. You've probably heard this before. It's a very popular verse. Jeremiah 29.11 um, talks about God's blessing in our life and that God wants good in our life. This is what it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. To give you future and a hope. And then, this is the next verse. It says, and then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. When do we usually do that? Do we do it when God's blessing us? When was the last time you had, had a really great season in your life? Did you just get on your knees just crying out to God? No. More of the time, I think that happens when we are going through hardship in our life. And, and, and it says right there in the verse before that, hey, my plan for you is, is good. My plan for you is welfare, not for evil. I want you to have future, and I want you to have hope. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And then I love verse 13, because it really tells you, how does this work? It says, you will seek me, and you will find me, Lord God Almighty. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. You'll seek me and find me with all your heart. That's when you'll be able to see me. That's when you'll be able 
to fill my presence. That's when I'll be able to walk you through things. And you still have this graciousness about you. That's when you're going to look more like Christ Jesus is when you seek me and find me, you will seek me and find me when you pursue me with all of your heart, not part of your heart, not part of it saying I'm still in this world, I'm still working for this part of the world and worldliness. But no, it's a full, willing surrender to God. And then he'll be able to do his greatest work in us. And I'm here to just be honest with you this morning. That if you desire anything less than permanent transformation in your life, you are not considering surrender really then. You're just considering like a New Year's resolution. That you're going to break really, really soon. Because you're not willing to surrender and be a living sacrifice. And if God's mercy is not motivating enough for you, then maybe you need to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and all that He went through for you and for me. You see, we need to trust Him more completely because then His transforming power will be allowed to do an even greater work in us. And we'll become what God intended us to be, the new creations in Christ Jesus. So we need to realize that surrender is not a one-time event. We're going to have to make that choice every day. We need to trust in Him more completely. And lastly, we need to let go of trying to control everything. There are certain things God gives us in our life that we can control. But a lot of times, we are control freaks because we want to be on the throne of our life. And so we try to control everything, everything every outcome in your life. And this is actually the opposite of a surrendered life. This is the opposite of willing surrender. When you surrender, you give up control. If you are in a war and there are opposing sides and one side surrenders to the other, guess what? They don't have control anymore. They don't know where they sleep. They don't know where or if they eat. They, they are now deeded over to the other side. And so there, if there is a willing surrender that happens here, you have no control over your circumstances any longer. And when you try to control and manage every little detail in your life, you're putting yourself in the place of God. You are saying, I know what's better for me than you know what's for me, God. The fact is, though, that you don't. Only God sits on the throne. The throne does not have two seats. It is not a throne made for two. And the surrendered life of a living sacrifice is letting God be God. And understanding that you are not God. Sometimes I just have to say that. You are not God. You are not God. I am not God. You are not all-knowing. You do not know what's best. And you do not know what the future holds. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. The fact is you really don't need to. If you fully trust in God and if you'll completely and willingly surrender to Him. You should not seek more control in your life. You should seek more surrender to God in your life. Because then you will allow His sovereignty and His Lordship to reign. And in doing this, you'll see the transforming power of faith being actually lived out in your life in the everyday. Why? Because a transformed life is marked by willing surrender. This is not meant to be some pragmatic thing. A lot of times, you know, what's the secret to having the transformed life? There's no secret. It simply means being emptied of yourself and being filled with Christ Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And in that process of emptying yourself, 
called willing surrender. It's the process of becoming transformed. And you'll become a follower of Jesus Christ that is a true follower of Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. That's the end goal for God is that He would have lifelong, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who are transformed from sinful lives through the power of the cross. And all you have to do to take that first step toward transformation is to surrender. Do you remember what Paul said? I die daily. What he's saying there is I willingly surrender daily. I didn't just have this one time event on the road to Damascus. I die daily because I have to willingly surrender my will to God. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you there? We're going to sing a song. And it's actually called I Surrender. It's, it's kind of a newer version. But in the chorus it says I surrender, I surrender, I surrender all to you. I don't want to change the words this morning. <laughs> Frankly, I think if, if I could just paint a picture of Jesus dying on the cross and all that He suffered, I, I just think that that's, that should be motivation enough. That should be motivation enough for us as, as believers to willingly surrender our lives and our hearts to Him. And then He's going to transform us. He's going to change us. And it's going to be awesome. So are you there this morning? Are you ready? Take that first step and surrender to Him. Let's pray.